Hi, everybody, and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Austin Miller. Let's hope I remember how to do this after such a long time off. Thank you for sticking with us. On today's show, we're going to be breaking down the first phase of this year's 2020 Libertadores. And we will also be looking at the Pre-Olimpico tournament, which is taking place in Colombia to determine the two South American spots in the 2020 Olympics. Joining me on today's show is Adam Brandon from Santiago, Chile. Adam, how are you doing? I heard you had a little Humpty Dumpty moment the other day. Indeed, yeah. I somehow managed to fall off a wall. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in recovery now. And yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting South American football with you guys. Have have all the king's horses and all the king's men managed to put you back together again? Not quite, no. All right, well, keep us updated on those. Hopefully those guys show up soon. Also joining us is Twitter criminal Simon Edwards. Simon, you are back on Twitter after a long hiatus for nefarious deeds. Uh, you have Colombian teams in the Libertadores to big up. You've got a Colombian team in the youth tournament to big up. You must be doing pretty well. Yeah, it was it was a pleasant surprise to see I've been released from Twitter jail for the crime of retweeting retweeting a video of Alfredo Morelos scoring a goal. So I don't know I don't know what Twitter has against against poor Alfredo, but I've been finally uh, released from my Twitter exile and. Yeah, I can build up unrealistic expectations for a couple of uh, fairly limited Colombian sides in Libertadores. This is our year. It's great to have you back, Simon. I have to say, my my Twitter timeline was was struggling without you on it. Just I, I needed my my fill of well, of Colombian wonder kids and and Alfredo Morelos and pandering to various clubs. I was wor- I was worried without me on Twitter, there wouldn't be a Twitter to come back to. But apparently, you guys have stuck through. Uh, despite my absence, so that's good to see. Well, guys, let's get into the first phase of this year's Libertadores. Uh, six teams being cut down to three from the six uh, lower-level playing football co- uh, countries on the continent, although I think you can make a debate that Chile should probably be in Ecuador's spot, and maybe this week's results bore that out. Uh, speaking of bore, that's what, frankly, unfortunately, some of these Libertadores matches were. We didn't have quite the the drama or or even the excitement that we usually get at this stage. Uh, quickly running through the results, Universitario threw on aggregate 2-1 against Carabobo. Guarani threw on aggregate 5-0 against San Jose of Bolivia. And then what I think we'll all agree was the most impressive looking side in this stage, Barcelona 5-1 on aggregate over Progreso of Uruguay. Uh, Adam, I think you are with me on this, that of these three teams that went through Barcelona, by far the most impressive, and they looked like a legitimate Libertadores side. Yeah, I, I was very impressed with Barcelona. Um, they have quite a few talented players in their, in their side, players that we've seen before in this competition as well. Um, Fidel Martinez especially, Looked way too good to be playing in the in the first round of the uh, Copa Libertadores qualifying. Um, he scored in both legs, um, and yeah, I think Alves up front and and Diaz, a player I've criticised a couple of years ago, I think a lot on this podcast that he he looked far too good for for this level as well. So. Progresso were actually possibly one of the better sides in this round as well. Um, I, I, I felt that they played fairly decent against uh, Barcelona over both games, but 
yeah, Barcelona just had too much quality and uh, and yeah, far too much pace on the break for the Uruguayans. And I think had this draw gone differently and had Progresso been matched up against either Guarani or Universitario, they would have certainly stood more of a chance because I agree with you. They, they played interesting football at times, but there was just a difference in level here. And, and that would have been the case for Barcelona against any one of these opponents. Looking kind of at the other two ties, Universitario got it done, but were by no means impressive, I think it's fair to say, in either of their, their matchups. A late goal in the first leg away from home was was what they, they needed out of that tie. Carabobo scoring the first goal of the Libertadores. Universitario's Jonathan Dos Santos, but not that Jonathan Dos Santos. It's important to note. Uh, coming up with the equalizer then, and then a free kick. Or No, that was the Barcelona goal. Universitario's goal. Oh, it was junk. <clears throat> Sorry. And then in the second leg, a uh, corner that got headed on and then kind of bundled over the line was the difference for them there. And once they got the lead and made it so that Carabobo had to then go and score to equalize, uh, not a lot of chances for Carabobo in the second half of this match. And, and Universitario saw it out comfortably, if not impressively. I think it's, it's fair to say no, Simon. Yeah, I was not particularly uh, impressed with uh, Universitario. Obviously, getting the win is important. And I think, you know, getting the equalizer away in Venezuela it can be tricky for some sides. But yeah, I found them a little bit flat, didn't produce too much. And uh, you'd kind of expect more from a, from a big side, although Ch- uh, Peruvian sides haven't uh, impressed us particularly in recent years. You know, it's a big side going away uh, to Carabobo. You'd expect a little bit more. And, and they were a little bit flat. So... I think work to be done for Universitario if they're going to progress to the group stage. Although I think it is fair to give them credit for getting through this stage because we did see them struggle with a tiny Paraguay inside a few years back, Deportivo Capieta, where they threw away a lead in the second leg. So credit to them for getting the job done. And in the final tie, Guarani 5-0 over San Jose. A late penalty in the first leg at altitude gave Guarani a 1-0 win. From there, the tie felt pretty much done and dusted. Uh, the first 15 minutes in Paraguay certainly bore that out. Guarani were all over San Jose, didn't manage to score somehow despite four or five really good chances. Uh, but then once they did score, the floodgates kind of opened and they added a couple more in the second half for what was a comfortable win on aggregate against the San Jose side that snuck into the Libertadores at the last opportunity after Christmas last year in Bolivia uh, and then had some financial problems and were fielding a pretty weakened side from the side that actually got them into the Libertadores. So not a terribly surprising result here. But what is exciting is looking ahead to the second phase ties, the second qualifying round, and seeing, Adam, a pretty tasty matchup between Guarani and Corinthians. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, Austin, do you think they could give Corinthians a, a, a real game here? I do. I do think they could. Um, of course, in 2015, Guarani famously knocked out Corinthians from the Libertadores in the round of 16. That was one of the more surprising results in recent Libertadores history. Corinthians are a team in transition. Uh, they actually lost in the, in the state leagues in Brazil last night to Ponche Preta 2-1. There are some interesting players. They're kind of putting together a new style of football this year, maybe a bit more open than Corinthians teams of years past. But that could leave them susceptible to better attacks. Guarani are not a, a, a very talented side, uh, which sounds like an insult, but I didn't intend it to be an insult. They have their style of play, and it's probably going to be defense first to get them through in this tie. But I think they could make life 
difficult for Corinthians. And I think a positive result at home for Guarani in the first leg could set up a pretty intriguing second leg in Sao Paulo with all of the pressure on the Brazilians, but also the history of what happened in 2015 looming. So I think this is certainly one of the second round ties to definitely keep an eye on. Yeah, I'm going to be keeping an eye on it because the winner of that plays Palestino um, or Cerro Lago. Obviously, I'm hoping it to be Palestino, who once again have a pretty talented squad and and I think Palestino impressed many people last year in this competition and um, and yeah they'll be hoping to do so again despite losing a couple of key men from that Libertadores squad last year. Um, Simon I want to ask you about the Colombian sides this year you know very disappointing in Libertadores last year. Do you fancy Independiente Medellin to make it through to the group stages this this time around? Uh, we'll have to see. Obviously, the big issue with Medellin is last year, half their goals were scored by Herman Cano. And this year, there is no Herman Cano uh, and not really an obvious replacement. Um, they focused on bringing a bit more pace in you know, wide and they've got Caicedo who will be the focal point in attack. Um, it's it's an interesting, a decent Medellin side, but you take out 30 goals from a team and uh, don't provide an obvious replacement. Caicedo is more of a focal point, kind of a target man to bring other players in. Uh, a lot will fall on Ricciardi to kind of pick the passes. I think Medellin are okay. I think they're fairly solid in defence. Caravid, obviously not particularly quick, but will organise things fairly well. I think it's going to be perhaps more difficult than, than you'd expect, um, this tie uh, to Chira. Important to get a positive result at home in the first game. Um, and I think they do have the quality and the athleticism in midfield to kind of see the game out if that's the, the situation. But yeah, I, I, I do worry about goals for Medellin this year. Uh, we'll have to see how that works out. But uh, yeah, not, not, a, not a bad team, but not something to get massively excited for. What about very quickly, Chile? Uh, go on. Very quickly on that tie between Medellin and, and Tashira. Tashira advancing in the second round is my bold prediction for this round. I've gone on the record here in the office about that, and I'm going to stick with that. You've you've convinced me, Simon, that there's not a lot to be afraid of in this Medellin side. Yeah, you know, I I don't think they're terrible, but you know, Medellin fans aren't particularly hopeful. Uh, Cano was one of the top goal scorers in the world, and Caicedo never has been that. So, could be tricky. I think they might grind it out, but it will be a, a potentially a grind. Adam, Universidad de Chile, big game against Internacional. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? <laughs> Well, first of all, it is a bit of a joke that Universidad de Chile are even in this competition. Um, yeah, I'm sure most of our listeners are aware that the Chilean League and Cup finished very early last season, got postponed because of the social crisis in the country. It meant that, you know, there's basically hardly any football from October onwards, and then finally they did cancel the season 100%. Um, at the end of November. Yeah, and Universidad de Chile were fighting relegation in the league. They'd had a terrible season. They've gone through, what, three managers, I think it was. And also, they had managed to get through to the semi-finals of the Copa Chile. Um, and in the semi-finals, they were due to face Union Española. No games in Chile could be played at the end of 2019. So the Chilean FA scheduled the semi-finals for the middle of January. Um, Union Española, for some reason that I still don't quite understand, 
believe that they should have been given the this spot in the Libertadores, even though this spot was always reserved to for whoever won the Copa Chile. But one of us, um, Union Española, just believe that because they finished higher than one of us at the Chile in the league, that they should have got the place. From what I read, Adam, I read that Española claimed that the Chilean FA, and this, Libertadores is back if we're getting into claimed and said and FA and all of this talk. Union Española's claim was that the Chilean FA had called off the 2019 season. They said the cup is done. And so because of that, then it would have gone, okay, we have to allocate a spot through the cup. The other two semifinalists, Colo Colo and Catolica, have already qualified. So it comes down to Española and Lau. They both qualified for the same phase. The semifinals, Española higher in the table. They're the Libertadores team. And that essentially they said the Chilean FA was going back on that by then saying, okay, now we're actually going to play the cup because they received permission from Connable to delay naming their fourth participant. Yeah, that seems um, to be Espanol's argument. Yeah, but, but but that's the key bit. Like, that they had, I, my understanding is they proposed that, but once they had got permission from Connable to postpone it, you know, nothing was ever signed or or agreed sure. on this. It, it, it was just a proposal, and it still makes a lot more sense just to keep it to whoever wins the cup or at least gets the final which is basically how Universidad de Chile qualified in the end because Union Española refused to turn up for the semi-final um, a semi-final I believe they would have had a very good chance of winning um, and yeah and so they basically gifted Universidad de Chile this Libertadores spot because the other semi-final was between Colo Colo and Universidad Católica, two teams who were already in the Libertadores. So, yeah, it's uh, it's one of the weakest Universidad Chile sides I've seen since since I've been over here, which is what nine years or so now. So, if the Brazilians don't win that one, then um, I'll be very surprised. They should win it, and they should win it comfortably. Um, Lou just looked basically in crisis um at the moment they started the season with losing the cup final to colo colo 2-1 it finished but um universidad chile basically missed a penalty after dominating the first 20 minutes and then fell apart and never looked like coming back um and then they lost in the last minute away to huachapato at the weekend 2-1 but they deserved to lose it um, it could have been more than that over 90 minutes. So, yeah, they could well be facing another relegation battle if they if if they can't sort out their their mentality. They do have some players coming back from this uh, under 23 tournament that we're going to touch on in a bit, um, who I think may may help them in their fight against relegation. But yeah, overall, that should be an international win. I think. And they also, Adam, had the unfortunate, misfortune, I should say, of drawing what is probably the most talented and best team in this phase in Internacional. I don't think there's much debate about that. I think they are probably the strongest favorite to go through to the group stage of any of the teams in this second stage. Um, yeah, anything but a comfortable Internacional win in both legs would, would be a bit of a shock to me. Simon, looking at the rest of these ties, obviously you'll have your eye on Macara Deportes Tolima. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Salima I'm very much 
um, making it clear that I have very low expectations for Talima, but I am very much prepared and secretly hoping that they can uh, pleasantly surprise me. Um, they've lost their manager, Gamero, who had some excellent suits uh, last year. That's going to be a big miss. Uh, also, he's one of Colombia's best managers, so that, that doesn't help as well. Um, they're a side that have a lot of, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of uh, a lot of pace. They have a 19-year-old playmaker who, uh, in Yamitan Campas, who's a, a flying winger who's become a very dynamic, driving, attacking midfielder. He's definitely one to watch. They've got a decent side. Uh, the defence is OK. The goalkeeper is a Colombia international, uh, Montero, who, who's very good, who's had a few errors recently, but a very good goalkeeper. And then they've got, uh, you know, a 4 2 3 one with three, you know, dynamic, uh, interesting attacking midfielders behind Rojas in attack. So I think Tolima will go into it without a, a great deal of experience, uh, a, without a great deal of high-profile kind of established names, but a, a team that's fairly solid uh, at the back and in the midfield with, with some very interesting kind of interchanging attacking midfielders, which is what they've done best. They lost a little bit of that dynamism uh, end of last year, but they look like they're kind of building around uh, Campas to kind of do that again this year. So it will be tricky. Uh, I think Macara have lost their two strikers in Corozo and Estrada, uh, which will be a, which will be a loss. They brought in Carlos uh, Faraud, who was playing in, in Saudi Arabia. So he may come in and, and help them out. But it should be a, quite an interesting game. I expect kind of an end-to-end, kind of an open game in this one. So it should be quite well matched uh, so one I'm looking forward to Austin I'll throw this one to you the strongest to command two of our favorites what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, I'm excited tie it around for me you've got altitude in the strongest we all remember what happened the last time Atletico Tucumán attempted to play at altitude a few years back uh, this time there will be no youth Argentina team in the country to bail them out with their kits so maybe they should send a box of their kits to La Paz early just just to make sure everything's all right uh, we love the strongest. We've always loved the strongest. Uh, you look at the squad that they have at this point, and you know it, it's a lot of the same names, a lot of the Bolivian national team. Yasmani Campos, a player who loves to hit a ball from 35 yards, which is really good when playing at altitude. Um, Harold Reina, the Colombian striker, uh, is somebody who can do a job. Ramiro Vaca. This is the strongest. It is their team. Uh, obviously, no Chumacero. Pablo Escobar is now a manager. But there's a lot of the same names and faces. They're going to play the same style. And it should be a fun tie either way. Um, Tucumán are, are a great story, which we've covered. They're, uh, the fact that they've been able to carve out a spot kind of consistently in the Libertadores is a huge credit to them. It'll be interesting to see what they can do in this round. But this is the tie that I'm certainly most looking forward to. Adam, very quickly on one of the other ties, Barcelona Sporting Cristal. We mentioned how good Barcelona looked in the first phase. Give them the edge in this round? Yeah, I think I do. I think along with um, Internacional of, of Brazil, Barcelona are another one of those teams I really fancy to make it all the way to the group stages. Um, Barcelona, one thing we maybe should mention, they, they of course, um, were pretty good in the first round first qualifying round last year but then um, they had an administration issue didn't they Austin um, where they I can't remember it was one of those where I think they'd played a player who was um, either suspended or registered to another club you remember that? I 
I think it was registration, and it was in the second phase last year yeah. against Defensor Sporting. Right. Their first leg was taken off the board and given 3-0 to Defensor Sporting. That's they couldn't right. quite turn it around in the second leg. Yes, it was an administrative issue, so yeah. hopefully all their papers are, are in check. This yeah, time. indeed. I, I, th- I think that might be uh, Sporting Cristal's best chance to go through if uh, if Barcelona screw up on their administration again, basically. That was going to be my point. <laughs> and the final tie that we've yet mentioned, Universitario Cerro Porteño. A couple of big big sides in their respective countries. Don't know how much good football we'll see in this one. I think Cerro Porteño are a pretty interesting side. They bring back a lot of the players. They were a quarterfinalist, of course, last year. For me, I think Cerro Porteño and Barcelona, they would face off for a spot in the group stage. That would be a very interesting third-round tie. Should we get that? So we'll keep our eyes on that. These Libertadores ties. First legs happening next week, Tuesday through Thursday. Second legs happening the week after Tuesday through Thursday. And then the third round will start the week after that. That'll be eight teams to cut down to four to complete the group stage of which we've already got 28 teams drawn in. Well, let's transition, guys, and talk about the Pre-Olympico, the Conmebol Pre-Olympic Tournament. Ten teams under 23 to cut down to two to end up making the Olympics. Format, two groups of five, top two advancing to the final stage, where it's a group of four with the top two then going on to the Olympics. Argentina and Colombia have come out of group A. Colombia only on goal differential over Chile after a nil-nil draw last night. In group B, Brazil have already booked their spot. Those final group B matches happen tonight. Uruguay sit on six points but have already played all of their matches, which means they have to sit and watch Paraguay, Peru, and Bolivia all in action and all with a chance to go through. And Adam, I'm sure this is exactly where you thought we were going to start with this competition before we get into some of your standout players. Bolivia with a legitimate chance to make the final round here. Yeah, indeed. I was quite impressed with their under-20 side in some games um, here in Chile last year um so they definitely seem to have quite a few talented players coming through there um and uh and yeah they, they've definitely got a very decent chance of making it to the final stage i think they need to beat peru by one goal to to make it um I two believe. goals i, I think oh yeah, they're sorry. Minus... yeah yeah yep. yeah by two goals yeah that's what i meant to say yep um, but yeah, they they pushed uh, they they pushed Brazil pretty much all the way the other day, didn't they? They, they ended up losing five three, but um, yeah, some uh, some pretty decent performances there and throughout the competition from Abrego, um, who who looks uh, who looks a real talent for them, um, and yeah, it's uh, it's going to be um, fascinating to see if they can um, edge out Peru and and. Uruguay to make it through. They'd also be relying on Brazil um, at least getting a draw against Paraguay as well. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Simon, some oh, some uh, big picture thoughts from you from this tournament, maybe on, on Colombia's side as well as any other players that have impressed you and what you've seen? Yeah, you know, I think uh, <laughs> the end of the first game, uh, Reyes took off Carrascal for Colombia and all the fans were chanting, burro, burro as in donkey, <laughs> not impressed by Reyes. And I haven't been particularly either, although it does look like he's starting to put together a, a fairly decent team, a, a decent balance to the team. Um, Colombia obviously built around Carrascal, a player with 
plenty of quality, uh, dubbed the Colombian Neymar. Um, and I've kind of used that nickname a bit tongue-in-cheek for a while because he hasn't quite lived up to that hype. But the ability is all there, and we've really seen it on show in this tournament, him taking kind of the lead for Colombia in, in attacking midfield uh, with Benedetti to one side and, and Cetre flying down the other side. So that attacking three has been key for Colombia. Um, and, you know, I've also liked Herrera flying forward at right back from, from Santa Fe. So, yeah, you know, Colombia after a, after a poor start, you know, a narrow defeat against Argentina, but you know, kind of a deserved defeat really on, on the balance of things. They've brought things together, um, obviously just snuck through in the end uh, with a, with a draw against Chile. Um, Chile had a few chances. Colombia had a few as well. But, um, you know, overall, so far, so good for Colombia. Uh, it's going to be a little bit tricky in the next round, but it does look like a decent Colombian side. Um, elsewhere, it's been interesting. I think Uruguay, despite, um, you know, getting close to qualification, potentially, have been a little bit flat, a, bit, a little bit unimpressive for me. Um, Bolivia, <laughs> Colombia... Before this tournament, played a friendly against Bolivia and, and lost, and everyone was, you know, terribly depressed. But it now looks like a fairly decent <laughs> result, given Bolivia are actually not quite, not too bad. Three goals against Brazil and, and, and competitive throughout the tournament, which is nice to see. Um, the level overall in South America uh, seems fairly level, but I, I do think Brazil and Argentina have so far been a, a step above. Brazil, in particular, you look at the the quality throughout that side, and, and it's incredible. Uh, Paulinho, Pedrinho. And in, also yeah. with a huge number of players unavailable for Brazil. A lot of the European <laughs> clubs not allowing players to go to this tournament for Brazil. So this is a lot a second-choice side for Brazil and Argentina as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I think that's the main point to make here. But for me, Brazil and Argentina look a level above everybody else, and that's with probably both sides missing. Uh, their, their best under-23 talents, which isn't particularly great news to the rest of the continent. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, definitely uh, it's interesting to see how uh, how strong this Brazil side is. Um, you know, I don't think they've had all, all their way. Um, it, it, Peru came fairly close in the opener and they did concede a few against Bolivia, uh, albeit with qualification looking like it's already done and dusted. Um, so, you know, I, I think there are still some competitive games to be played and, and I wouldn't completely uh, guarantee an Argentine qualification. I think at times they've been a, a little bit flat as well. But, yeah, you know, obviously a big result against Ecuador and, and they do have quality. Uh, your man up front, Gaich, in attack. Uh, what are your yeah. thoughts, Adam? Who are some of your main men? Yeah, Gaich has definitely been up there as uh, as one of my favourite players in in this tournament and um, and some of his link play with McAllister... Um, who is, uh, that's Alexis McAllister, the one who is actually owned by, by Brighton um, at the moment. Um, yeah, so some, some of the football those two have played together has been very impressive. But even Argentina's second string side managed to come from behind against Venezuela yesterday and, and win 4-1. Um, Jul Julian Alvarez um, impressing there, I thought. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think generally um, Argentina have been actually pretty impressive. But they beat they they beat Chile two nil, um, and they were pretty clinical in that game. And that is the one thing that Chile haven't been really in, in this tournament is 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 clinical. Just the four goals across the four matches. I think Chile were one of the best. Um, 
most solid sides in this tournament. It was only really Argentina who gave them any any trouble at all, and and uh, the only two goals they conceded were against Argentina. They kept three clean sheets, but yeah, Colombia edged through on goal difference because they just had that bit more quality in attack, um, and that and that's really going to be the challenge facing these um, Chile over the next few years. They've got to produce some quality attackers from somewhere because at the youth levels we've seen in, in recent years, um, none have really come through. Although I am very excited about a 19-year-old winger, uh, Unión Española, called Carlos Palacios. He didn't make this squad. Um, for me, that was that was a big omission by, by the by the Chilean management team um, to leave him out. He was one of the best players in the last few weeks of the Chilean season last year, and he's already picked up a Man of the Match award on the first weekend of this season. Yeah, um, really great close control dribbler, superb shot on him, um, very creative. I think, uh, I think he's one of the Chilean players I've been most excited about in a in a long time. Um, another one of those, of course, a couple of years ago was uh, Ange Angelo Arreos. Um, and he really got lost in Brazil for a couple of years. Um, his move to Corinthians, you know, just didn't work out really. I've, I've seen that he's been linked to, to a club in Italy um, in, in the last few hours. Um, after impressing in this under-23 tournament, he seemed to get his confidence back um, whilst playing in this tournament. And um, and yeah, I, f I felt that Chile was slightly unfortunate not to not to beat Colombia last night. Um, I, I think they played the better football, but yeah, they just lacked that cutting edge up front. Yeah, and another story is Ecuador have disappointed a little bit. They're quite a young side. Uh, but with Leonardo Campano and Rezavala in attack linking up, obviously they won the U20 and uh, and had a decent showing at the World Cup. Um, but they frauds. We we, we bigger them up and they let us down. But you know, I, I still think there's a lot of talent there. But it was a, well, they, a fairly disappointing. They didn't score a goal. <laughs> I think that's possibly the most worrying thing uh, about that Ecuador <laughs> performance. Four defeats out of four. Didn't score a goal. To be fair. Um, Campana up front, um, the the guy we we last did a pod on the, for the scouting spotlight. You know, just a few days after we did that scouting spotlight, he signed for Wolverhampton Wanderers um, in the Premier League. So I think that he's his head wasn't particularly at this tournament. Um, I think it's fair to say, and and I just think that maybe. This Ecuador team, a lot of their players from the under twenty, you know, stepped up to this level under twenty three, um, and and yeah, a couple of years is is a is a long time in in football for for players to develop. Mm. So yeah, I, th I think they maybe we're a little bit short on on maturity for this level. Of yeah, football. and with Venezuela, um, you know, I I really like Soteldo. He's such a great player. With his socks around his ankles and his, his little shorts, he's yeah, he, he stands out on the pitch, and I think he's a really good player. But and I was a little bit disappointed they couldn't provide more. Obviously, it's a fairly competitive group, and with Chile uh, turning up and and you know surpassing some expectations, you could say um, it was a difficult one. But uh, yeah, perhaps a bit more with um, 
uh, with Soteldo and Hurtado in attack, you know, it looked like a decent team and uh, they were competitive throughout the tournament, but fell a little bit short at the end. Um, but yeah, interesting to see. And, you know, while Argentina and Brazil do look perhaps a step above at this point, you know, I, I do think it's good to see all teams putting up a decent showing um, across this competition. And yeah, we've got the final coming up. Um, three match days, a, tour, a group of four teams, and uh, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, and someone else who will probably be defined by the time you listen to this podcast. Adam, anything other than Argentina, Brazil going to the Olympics for you? Personally, I, I'll be surprised if if anybody edges out those two. Let's let's wait and see. Adam, before we bring this podcast to a close, I know that you kind of wanted to speak a little bit to the situation that's been going on and, and it's continuing to go on in Chile related to, to football and, and also to, to more than that. Yeah, so this social crisis in in Chile has been ongoing now since the middle of October. As I mentioned earlier in the pod, you know, football was cancelled altogether by the, by the end of November. Um, the teams at the top of the second and third tier, Santiago Wanderers from Primera B, got promoted to the top tier. And San Marcos de Arica, my team, long-term listeners will know, were promoted from the third tier to the second tier. Um, just because they were, you know, by far the best teams in, in their respective leagues. Um, and they were top of the table and it was just a matter of time before they got promoted. So... Yeah, the, the correct decisions were taken there um, and the season didn't quite finish there for Primera B because they had to decide a second team to come up and that was done through a series of playoff matches, most of which I attended here in, here in Santiago. All the games were played in the National Stadium. In the end, Deportes de la Serena, the team who finished in second in, in, in the league table, they were they ended up getting promoted so you could say justice was done there they, they beat um to in the final on penalties um and just four days after that they played their first match in the Primera division so i think that might be a world record for a team getting promoted and then playing their first game in in their new league so the first round of matches here in chile in the league passed off pretty peacefully until the last um, until after the game on the, on the last on the last match of, a, of of the match of the first match day, and that was Colo Colo Palestino. I went I went to the game. I was coming out of the stadium. Um, I saw a police van parked in the middle of the road. Um, seemed to be inviting trouble. Um, predictably, some Colo Colo fans threw some rocks and stones at it. They were then flying everywhere, lots of scared families around. I had to use a rucksack to sort of hold it over my head. This police truck then sped off down the road and ended up knocking over and eventually killing a Colo Colo fan. Um, this has sparked protests from um, an outrage from the Colo Colo fans and many of them want the football season suspended again doesn't look like it's going to happen it doesn't seem like they've got the same kind of level of support that was present at the end of last year when the when the season was suspended uh, a move very much um um headed up by Colo Colo's main brother Vergara Blanca um 
but yeah, it seems like football is going to carry on for now. Um, and yeah, possibly the only other thing I'd like to add is that pretty much every stadium in the country um, over the last weekend had anti-government and anti-Sebastian Piñera, Piñera is the president of Chile, um, banners and songs um, and asking him to resign still. But yeah, there's a lot of tension in the country still and, and a lot of issues still going on. There's huge rumours in the country that in March that everything is going to come to a halt again in the, in the country, and including a football, because that's when the new constitution will be voted on and there's set to be sort of mass uh, protests and, and possibly another outbreak of violence as well. So, yeah, um, there's still some nervy times ahead, I think, for... <laughs> for me and uh, and many Chileans over the next few weeks. Well, as always, Adam, we definitely appreciate your perspective and, and hope that you'll continue to keep us updated on that. Before we wrap, Simon, would you like to tell the listeners where they can once again find you on Twitter? Absolutely. Uh, at Simon Edwards SAF on Twitter, once again, uh, for Colombian stuff, Colombian leagues up, up and running. And we've got an exciting U23 Olympic qualifying tournament uh, coming to its end in the next couple of weeks so have have a check out that that doesn't make any sense but you, over there twitter you can find me check that out <laughs> and adam for you if the listeners are maybe looking for a little less shameless pandering where can they find you on twitter at adam brandon 84 i do have a couple of things to plug actually i um encourage people to go out and buy the football magazine well if you're based in the uk this is um by the football magazine when Saturday comes. Um, it's a magazine which is struggling a little bit, and, but in my opinion, one of the most important football um, magazines um, going. And yeah, I also have an article about the crisis in Chile in there and how it's affected the football. Um, so yeah, I encourage people to buy that. And also, if you want to know a little bit more about the, the history um, of of Chile and Chilean football and, and, and its politics. And I did a podcast about two months ago now um, with John McKenzie, um, who does a football podcast called Football Today. And uh, yeah, I'd highly recommend that podcast anyway. But yeah, especially the episode with me on it. So yeah, a bit of shameless plug in there, Austin as well. You can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. I would also encourage all of our listeners to follow the official accounts for the Honorable Libertadores and Sudamericana at at the Libertadores on both Twitter and Instagram and at the Sudamericana. Sudamericana back underway next week as well with a whole host of first round matches. We'll also have some more Scouting Spotlight podcasts that will get recorded actually later today that will hopefully be ready for you in some time. Well, that's all for this week's show. Thank you to all of our listeners, as always, for listening. Thanks to Adam and Simon for joining me. All that's left for me to say is goodbye.